Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name. My name. Is <laughs> Does my hair look okay? My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Let's give it a go. Perfect, perfect. Carl, can you be honest for a second with me? Yeah, what's wrong now? I need you to be honest, okay? I need you to be honest about who's a better shooter, Avery or Cody. Fucking Avery by country mile. 100%. 100%. <laughs> Cody, Cody gets his tits in a knot, she keeps her tits in her bra. <laughs> that is a classic. I don't know, you know, it may be worth doing a bet right now, Cody, on how many South African PH-isms are we going to hear in this podcast, because that's number one already and we haven't hit the minute mark. <laughs> right, right. Hope, hopefully a ton. And I will tell you 100% that uh, my wife is a better rifle shot than I am. I think... Uh, you, you were a former sniper, weren't you? I was, in fact. Now, everyone brings that up. And everyone also needs to remember that was over a quarter of a century ago. I could see then. I wasn't nearly as fat as I am now. There was a lot. It was a long time ago um, that I could shoot with uh, the best in the world. Also. I think there's an advantage to, ha to having never done it to some extent. And if, if you approach it correctly, like Avery just doesn't yeah. get as doesn't wound up about, about it, it um, and probably doesn't have the uh, ego issues. I don't want to miss in front of Carl. I don't want to <laughs> miss in front of Daryl. You know, I don't – like there's a lot more uh, – shit bouncing around in my head i will have you know i i missed a, i missed a warthog last night very I, very far bad wind call they wouldn't listen to my wind call this morning redeemed himself i found the same pig at a thousand yards we stalked in this morning he made a great shot at 296 pumped it beautiful 
massive hog down in the, the salt. The miss, yeah, I saw the picture. It was amazing. The miss was at 548 too. So I, I'm not making excuses, but it was a poke out there. With, uh, with Are you making excuses that you can't stalk in any closer than 548? Uh, I, that, we're going to need a PHism on that. I could uh. we, we could have walked. For, I could have walked further. <laughs> no, it was a set of conditions that I said I had confidence and I missed. But we did redeem ourselves and get the same hog today. Daryl and I both shot beautiful warthogs this morning. Well, uh, Carl, you are a big... Um you're a big supporter of who we are at Blood Origins. We're a big fan of who you are as an individual and as a hunting outfitter. And, um, yeah, this is a pretty unique roundup. Cody is in South Africa with you. Um, I just flew in from Spain last night. I, I haven't heard the roundup from last week. I'm sure Cody gave me a bunch of crap for flying to Europe and I don't know what, I, what, what he might have said. Uh, but, Carl, welcome to the Roundup. Welcome to the Blood Origins podcast. Thank you very much, Robbie. Glad to be a part of it. Uh, glad to be part of your drive and your mission. And we want to even be more involved and continue getting involved in driving home the good message. Carl, give a give people a little bit of a um, an understanding of who you guys are in the operation. Obviously, the, the people who listen to this podcast. And maybe this is one of the, the rabbit holes that we can run down. We don't really have a set agenda today, um, given how um, in, in Afrikaans and how Diemakar Cody is and how Diemakar I am right now. Uh, Diemakar, Cody, do you know what Diemakar means? I don't. I'm trying hard, but the, here's the... How long have you been in South Africa and you don't know what Diemakar is? Listen, here's the thing. Everybody speaks a combination of three different languages here, okay? It's not... You can't learn one... Because any given sentence will have three different languages in it. And I, don't, it, I think it's, it's hopeless. I just rely on them to tell me what they're saying. <laughs> I, I, well, I, Carl, explain to Cody what Diemakar is. Diemakar, Cody, it means our shit's in a mess. We're just all over the place. We're just not organized. <laughs> Everything is everywhere. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's a fair assessment of, of my life right now. Other than I'm in paradise doing exactly what I want to do, I... All the other responsibilities of my life, I'm completely ignoring for the next few days. <laughs> well, Carl, give us a little, give the, the the audience a bit of a sense of of your operation in the Eastern Cape. Um, you know, a lot of people have misperceptions around South Africa, right? They hear Cody's hunting in South Africa, they assume he's hunting behind a high fence operation that's probably a thousand acres or a thousand hectares, and it's a put and take kind of place, and He's already chosen the sable bull that he wants and the warthog that he wants. True or false? I tell you, uh, Robbie, it's a it's a difficult scenario and a difficult discussion. And I'm so glad you took it on last month with regards to the high fences with your deal in Texas. But yeah, high fence high fences in South Africa. Um, it's an important part of our conservation. It is what has grown so much of our wildlife from the 70s to where we are today, where uh, like the North American model, I can proudly say we are the most successful uh, country in the world when it comes to bringing wild, wildlife back to record numbers today. Um, our areas in the Eastern Cape are somewhat different to some of other parts of South Africa. Not all are the same. Uh, but uh, to give the, the listeners an idea, Cody, this, this week we'll be hunting our main base is 30,000 acres, all high-fenced, uh, one block. And uh, we also hunting right next door, which is another block of a hundred and uh, 
10,000 acres. So we, we've got access. 110,000 acres high fenced? Yes, sir, one block. Holy shit. Yeah, so that's, that's real investment into real wildlife, dollars on the ground, feet on the ground, and we are sustaining that through hunting. So that is what we are doing. We've been doing it successfully for the last 40 years, and we continue to do so through the sport of hunters like yourselves. Carl, in your opinion, you've been how long have you been on the ground there at John X? Uh, I, this is my 20th year in charge of the business, basically. Okay. One of the things that we get often asked about or an, an accusor, as accusor, blah, blah, too, too early in the morning for me, we get accused of when it comes to high fences is that there, there is this connotation of constraint, connotation of constraint of the animal. In your experience in 20 years, how much of the that is actually true? Are you seeing animals on the landscape in 30,000 acres dare I say 110,000 acres, that actually know that they're constrained? That's the thing, eh, Robbie. It's, it's, some animals will get to a boundary of a property where there is a fence, but that fence there is also a protection uh, of, a, of a species, of an investment, of what the ideology is of that property and what we're trying to achieve. Uh, at the same time, if we look at the broad array of species we have in the East Cape here, if, if I just take on my property alone, something like an eland travels great distances, but if I t take a little Cape bushbuck or a blue diker living in the forest, it doesn't even know anything about fences. That's all foreign to it. It, 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 it will never ever in its life reach a fence. It will never know it existed uh, on, you know, during its lifespan. So, you know, a fence is a complicated discussion because it's a necessary evil. It is what has got us to where we are today. And I think the more people understand that the great opportunities for wildlife and for more tracts of land going to wildlife, you will see larger high-fenced areas. And, and the longer we're in this game and the longer we keep at it, the larger these tracts of land will become. Because if I think back to when I was a young boy, and I, I, I've discussed this in the past on Gunworks' podcast, I remember as a kid something simple, going on safari with my dad and seeing a giraffe. It was like an unbelievable experience seeing a giraffe. Uh, today, I see 30, 40 giraffe. We've seen giraffe every single day on every moment out there to the point where it's become like a joke. And that's one species. And high fences have made that possible. So I, I think ultimately people must understand that it is part of the conservation model and it works very well. But they are not there to assist the hunter for one moment. They're there to assist the wildlife in the protection mm -hmm. of that wildlife. Yeah, and I think that that's I, a great point. That's a great point that it's not there to assist the hunter. That's a great point. And I don't think that, uh, I think the real accusations come, are more lobbed at me as a hunter here right now than at Carl. And I would just, I don't know how you, I mean, challenge someone to know that we're, we're hunting, you know, I mean, this is not. Well, uh, well describe, describe one of your hunts, Cody. You're, you're hunting. Do, you're now, saying you're hunting. Describe it. I'll say this, you know. Let's that, talk about your Nyala. Good example. Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, we spent a long time. I personally, I think I probably frustrate Carl because I hate giving him a list. I don't have this list of species, really. I just want to hunt. And what 
what to me separates Africa, obviously the, the different species that we never see, the abundance of wildlife, but the big kicker to me is you can get up in the morning and just go hunt. Exactly. And in the States, you get up in the morning and you go on a duck hunt or you go on a deer hunt or you go on an elk hunt. And I'm not complaining. We're very spoiled in the United States. I, in my opinion, we have incredible hunting opportunities. But I really love the difference here that you can get up in the morning and even though Carl's been emailing you and his wife's been emailing you for a month asking you what your plan is and I can't make up my mind, you can just go hunt. And, uh, and that's the biggest. We were looking for warthog um, and spotted a, uh, an Inyala bull that I wasn't even, you know, Carl and I had only briefly talked about the fact that if we saw a big one, um, I could tell from Carl's reaction, which I think was sincere after everyone else's reaction, Carl didn't even really ask me. We just decided we, <laughs> I mean that in the best way possible. We got excited. He didn't have a choice. We were going. It was we go guys like, you should, you, you're going to hunt that one. We yeah, were, we were yeah. going. It was go time. Crawled up across rocks and, and stocked up on this animal. I'm not trying to make it sound like it was like a sheep hunt. No. We, we We didn't. We didn't physically kill ourselves, but we worked very hard and ended up taking a, I think, 309-yard shot on just one of the prettiest animals that you've ever seen in the world. And, uh, you know, the whole experience, Carl's carrying around a big gun because there's buffalo all around us, and and uh, it, uh, it it's hunting. It's not, this is not some put-and-take caged incident i had that impression the first time not not once i got here but the first time i was flying over here to hunt with carl i came to africa the first time because a friend invited me and i wanted daryl has been on the podcast multiple times invited me and i wanted to go along i didn't think that i wanted to hunt africa because i had this screwed up perception of what it was but i can promise you that uh you're gonna hunt. You're gonna hunt as hard as any whitetail hunt in the U.S. Again, I won't say it's a sheep hunt or a or a backcountry elk hunt, um, but it's hunting, and you better be able to shoot, and uh, you better have patience, and you better learn how to glass. Being able to glass is uh, and and search for animals. We get uh, embarrassed by the PHs on a daily basis because we can't find the animals they're finding. Did you take your Did you take your six hour uh, stabilizing binos. I did not. Cody. It's, it's. I'm gonna. I'll. I'll just completely admit that it's laziness. I. <laughs> I, I don't want to deal. And I. I don't believe actually that most of the time it's that big of a challenge to get a firearm in. Um. But I don't want to deal with it honestly, and I can tell you but this that, wasn't a. That wasn't a firearm. That was just set up binoculars. Oh no no. I didn't take those either, and that was that was the one thing so far that I've realized I forgot. I thought you were asking me about the cross rifle from Six Hour. I no, no, no. The the Zulu binos that had this the stabilizing function to it. No, they would have been incredible. And I I'm apologizing to Six Hour that I I uh, not only didn't take them, I didn't even bring a pair of binoculars for my wife, which <laughs> luckily. Luckily, Look, uh, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised by that statement. Yeah, and luckily I believe that that uh 
Carl's son. I don't know if he knows it, but my wife has his binoculars. So we saved the day there. But uh, no, those would have been incredible, those 16 powers with the stabilization. Carl, did Cody give you the our Blood Origins gifts? Absolutely, Robbie. Thank you very much, mate. Um, the reason I've not thanked you is because I want my kids to thank you. Uh, my, oh, boys, awesome. my boys are, are, are wearing the caps, but that's school now. But Saturday it will be chaos, it will be hunting, and they'll be wearing them. Oh, man, I'm so glad. Um, yeah, it's our pleasure. And obviously, again, just you guys have been, you know, supporters of ours from, from a long time. Um, if everyone remembers um, in 2021, we, was it was it 21 or 2020? 2020, Jeez, time goes, we pulled it off in the 2020. Chaos. Yeah, 2020 in six weeks, we pulled off, or I didn't pull off nothing. I just did organizations and dealt with, with uh, cinematographers. <laughs> um, but uh, we did a project with Carl called Everyone Deserves to Play, in which we built a soccer, um, Carl built a soccer stadium, and uh, or st not a stadium, but a pitch and some grandstands and some buildings. And it's all tied to Carlisle Bridge School, a school that, that Carl's operation funds and helps and it, it's the it's the consequence, the benefit of hunting that happens in Africa all across, pretty much uh, in you know for the majority, of most places in South Africa and extending up into Africa, there's always going to be a benefit and a consequence Absolutely. to the actions. Some some better than others, right, Carl? Let's be honest. Absolutely. There's going to be some people yeah. out there that that don't care, yeah. don't give us stuff, right? No, absolutely, and it's something that I'm going to be taking. Um, Daryl and Kirsten and Cody and Avery and Paul and Janet Bride, we're going to be going down to the school in the coming days before the weekend. And uh, we're going to go and have a look at, you know, what precisely you guys were involved in there. And also our new projects, some exciting projects on the go. We've got new wells. We've got uh, new pipelines coming from the river. We've got gardens going. Uh, we've Carl, are you ready to tell me about this big project that we're going to do in 23 yet? I'm not ready. I told you, <laughs> I'm not ready to tell you. I know what the project is, but we're going to have to have a lot of water under this bridge first. A lot of things okay. have to fall in place. We, we, we're we about there okay. with the funding. We just got to get over the line with the rest. <laughs> but, okay, yeah. well, you know, we, we'll, we stand ready when they do. And, and the other thing is Cody in his former life was not only a sniper, but he was a close to professional soccer player. So he wants to go on the pitch <laughs> and he wants to play against these kids and I want video of it. Okay. Uh, we will do that. Yeah, we will absolutely. do that. We yeah. actually got a, a bunch of new balls we need to drop off when we go. Our, our previous hunters from Dallas actually left a bunch of new soccer balls. So we'll let Cody try it out and we'll, we'll share a bunch of videos on social media. Super. That's just what we need. And Robbie, tell me Call what's, what, what, what's happening at Blood Origins. What, what happened in Spain, dude? Yeah, so we were fortunate enough. You know, one of the things that we love love to do, Carl, is we love to tell the sort of the proof, right? Internally to Blood Origins, our message is prove it. Everyone uses the phrase hunting is conservation. But um, internally, we say, well, prove it. How do we prove that that is true, that statement is true? Because we know that the actual statement itself, if you're not, unless you're, you're hunting an invasive species, it's not actually true indirectly it's true um and so we got some money to to really what i wanted to do is i wanted to seat ourselves very objectively in the middle and figure out there's there's, there's a there's a bunch of pushes all around the world right now and you felt it and we've mm. seen it and 
is this idea of banning trophy hunting, right? And, 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 and again, people will attack us, not attack us, they'll point out that nobody's banning trophy hunting. That's correct too. And again, this is the whole point of us being honest here. Yeah. That's correct. They're banning the import of trophies. But why? Like, what's the end game to banning the import of trophies? The, the end game, it doesn't take anyone with a couple of brain cells to understand that the end game is to ban hunting. So essentially, they're saying, we just don't want hunting to occur. We feel like the animals, the wildlife, the people, the economics are all going to be fine if hunting is removed. And so we want to try and, and sit us, seat ourselves in the middle and sort of objectively say, is that true or is it not true? And so there's a bunch of places in the world where hunting has actually been quote unquote banned. So in Africa, you know, you probably have them in the Eastern Cape Cod. You probably have areas that are no longer hunted. Yes, absolutely. Big areas. And so we want to go into those areas and say, well, what's the wildlife like today? What's the habitat like today? What's the vegetation like today? Is it better because hunting has been removed? Is the, are the people doing better? And in some cases, that may be true. Um, in Tanzania, in Botswana, in Zambia, in Zimbabwe, like what are all these things doing? And so that would be the classic example in the African context where typically when hunting is pulled out in there, and we did an infographic out of Ethiopia in the tropical forest there in which there was a, um, a satellite imagery analysis uh, by imagery from a, a satellite called Landsat, and they compared uh, various different land use types, whether it was hunting, non-hunting, uh, state forest, or hunting blocks that had been now unoccupied. And they showed that hunting kept the tropical forest intact or actually increased forest cover. The unhunted concessions actually dropped 13 to 14% in, in, in forest cover. So there's a proof there. There's a scientific proof. Yeah. And so in Spain, what's interesting in Spain is there has been a hunting ban put in place. And it's been put in place for all the national parks in Spain. And that is where I'm correct. You used to be able to buy the tags on the annual auction and you could hunt the national parks. Am I right? So what you're probably thinking about is the natural parks. Okay. So they have two different designations in Spain, natural and national. Natural is you can buy tags and you can hunt. Okay. National that's like parks, public land. No, not really. Not really. Not really. The national park is is true public land. Okay. But there are two national parks. Uh, Mon Monfragu, I think, is one of them, and then Cabaneros is another. Okay. In which the border was decided that was decided by the government. Essentially, think about it like this, and from a John X perspective. The Eastern Cape government said, I'm going to create a new national park, and half of John X's property, private property, was included in that national park. Wow. And now we can't. And the national park is telling you, you can't do a lot of different things. Wow. You can't hunt. You can't feed your animals. You can't clear your fire lines. Mm. You can't do any of that because you're under the purview of the national park now. And so this place, Cabaneros National Park, has been under a hunting ban for two years now. And that's what we went to visit. We went to visit to see if 
what the state of affairs was like. So we wanted to look at it ecologically. And we wanted to look at it economically or socioeconomically, essentially. And so we went on this private estate, phenomenal place. Um, Cody will laugh at this. It did not fit my lifestyle. The Spanish lifestyle does not fit a Robbie Kroger lifestyle. What? That the Up earliest... too late at night, never wake up in the morning. Oh my gosh, dude. <laughs> dude. That's like, I, I drove me nuts. I lived there for six months. Dude, it was like the earliest we had dinner was 9.30 in the, <sighs> at night. Not for me. Sometimes 10.30 at night is when we started dinner. I was like, I'm, I'm being asleep for an hour and a half already. Mm. Nice, you know? Um, but here was the thing. And, and we, 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 we filmed for five days straight. We were nonstop as we typically do. And um, one, I'll tell you what, ecologically it was. Cody, you've been in whitetail places here in the States where you can see you drive through someone's property and if they've got too many white-tailed deer, what's the first thing you see? Uh, I browse don't know. line. Browse yeah. line or what? Yeah. A browse line. Dude, the, the browse lines there on these oak species was like unbelievable. And then they also had enclosures. They had exclusion enclosures on this property where they had excluded animals. Like this. And it was... Yeah, you had one and a half foot grass inside the enclosure and it was it was it was brown just like your your grass is right now because it's a you know yeah, end of august it was it was it was the end of summer there yeah. so it's you know dry period but on the outside of the fence it was dirt yo 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 and so there's this huge comp like there's and there's i'll tell you what if i saw i probably saw in five days almost two thousand red deer no jokes. I also saw probably 2,000, maybe more wild boar on this property. There were so many animals on this property. It was ridiculous. Uh, and then we went and visited the towns around, like, you know, that are little 750 people, 2,000 people towns. And just engage the individuals and i don't speak spanish they don't speak english and so we had a translator but you could see the passion from these guys we interviewed a catering company guy who caters all of these hunting events hasn't had a single hunting event in two years a leatherman who builds leather products who sells at these hunting events um a construction guy a veterinarian um a guy that is here, here are the cool ones, Cody, that I think you'd enjoy. We've interviewed two people who are non hunters, do not hunt, but they provide mules and horses to the hunting estates to get the animals out of the bush and ask them, like, what do you think about it, about this hunting ban? Um, we also interviewed a bartender in one of the towns who was completely anti hunting, which was cool, which was cool too. When will, when will the uh, public be able to see it? I know it'll be a while, but when is there a release? Yeah, well, we're going to, we'll probably do a teaser by the end of the year. And ideally what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to build the, build the, the film. It's going to be subtitled in Spanish and English. That's cool. Because the Spanish interviews were 
obviously in Spanish and require a English subtitle. And then my voiceovers and my interviews were obviously in English that need to be subtitled into Spanish. So we're going to blend those two things together. Um, and here's the here's what I hope. And I, I laid the the seed out there for Rafa, who was our guy on the ground there. I'd love to come back to Madrid in April and do a premiere of the film in Madrid. Like, let's just invite 100 people, 200 people. Let's invite journalists and let's, you know, hire out a movie theater I'll in Madrid. I'll tell you what, I've got good connections for you there, Robbie. So hit on me for that. I've got uh, some serious pull in Spain. Let's speak to you about that, my man. I'll do it, man. But that's uh, it was just a great start to that proof documentary. We want to do one in Zimbabwe of a, re- a rewilded area. We want to do one in Zambia of some islands that are in Kariba that are part of the national park system and some that are private and the national park ones, obviously you cannot hunt. Yeah. Um, and then we've just submitted our filming permit for Botswana uh, to, to do some uh, perceptions of marginal land filming in Botswana. So and, just the beginning of this film series, but exciting stuff. Yeah. And, and Robbie, one that I'd love you to take on, I was going to share to Cody about it, but I'm glad we're chatting about it now. Have you seen Ron Thompson's film on Kruger? Yeah, I well, I, I watched, I'll be honest. Yeah. And Ron, I apologize if you listen to this podcast, but I watched the first six minutes and I couldn't watch anymore. Um, it's an hour long of it's him driving long. through Kruger. Um, but the point is made, right? It's mm. the, the thing is what we have to remember, Colin, and here's the thing that I really want to emphasize with this proof videos. And in my questioning with every individual, I did this. Mm. I don't want to be accused and Ron will get this accusation. I don't want to be accused because I'm a I'm pro hunting. I'm a hunting advocacy organization that I'm I'm purposely showing that hunting is good. Yeah, I got it. I want to be objective. I want to sit in the middle and I want to see. Well, is this are we are, well, we, are I, you seeing a decrease in business because of COVID or because of the hunting ban? Yeah, but I, I do think that. Uh... That, that 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 the Kruger scenario, I don't think anybody would be interested in wanting to push the hunting agenda. I think it's just we got to save Kruger for what Kruger is. I think mm-hmm. that is uh, we got to get culling and whatever was agreed with WWF and everybody else around the table 20 years ago, it's not the same discussion anymore. And we can't just keep digging our heads in the sand like ostriches. It did. Cody? It, it's uh, from a person that really doesn't even know what the hell he's talking about most of the time with this stuff. It blows my mind when folks won't just look at data, just look at actual facts on things like the Kruger discussion or things like the, the places in Spain. Um, the people that ignore the fact that with 8 billion human beings on Earth, we have to do things to manage animal populations or just just very very naive from there you can expand it on to what that management is and that to me gets more subjective hunting is not the end-all be-all it is an it's an option in the in the toolbox um usually the best economical one but just just an option in the toolbox but folks that think that that nothing can be done and everything will be fine are uh you know just it's insanely naive Carl, let me ask this on a smaller scale, just so that we, we're all talking the same language. On a smaller scale, what would happen or what would you need to do on your 30,000 acres with your buffalo population if you didn't hunt? Oh, 
I would have to sell them at a meat value which would not be able to sustain my land. So there would always be an exit to feed the people. I'm not going to argue that. Right. I'll, I'll always have an opportunity to sustain the wildlife. But would I buy more land? Would I go into the 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 mood I'm entering at the moment where I'm I'm, I'm starting to look around for more land? Um, I want to increase. I want to grow more wildlife. Um, no, I wouldn't. Would you employ anywhere near this? No. no. I mean, your your staff would just no. you couldn't drop compare. By 80%. You couldn't compare the alternative. The alternative to our land use here is goats and cattle and mm. a few sheep up top. Uh, and it would be a scorched earth policy because there was no way you could, I could send my kids to the school I want to send them to to give them a chance in this world. And uh, apart from that, I don't think I would stick in it very long. I think I'd let the land go. Uh, that is just mm -hmm. a fact. That's where I'm at. So... It doesn't only have to be my buffalo. I take something as simple as my nyala, uh, the value I see in those animals. Um, yeah, obviously the big ticket animals, it seems that those are the ones that are spoken about a lot. They're actually not that good sustainability-wise uh, if you look at the numbers in time in and investments. Uh, so, so it's quite complicated. You actually need to be you, – you, you need to look at all the species and all of them come together – in an ecosystem, but also in the sustainability, because uh, what you offer and what you can offer as a combination is more important than a single species. I think that's very important to realize in, in what we do. And, and it's not, it, it's it, in this country alone, especially even if we can discuss this white draft paper that's, that's reared its head. Now. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, um, to everybody's amazement, and the world looked on, and, and, and many people warned us and told us that uh, uh, our, our, our uh, Section 25 of our Constitution, where they wanted to expropriate our land without any compensation, it obviously went to the vote for the second time, uh, December 26 of 2021, and uh, it was thrown out of Parliament. So we, we, we're in a very... Uh, we're in a very happy scenario where this is out of the window. It's done, and uh, they they, won't, they cannot take our land. They cannot expropriate our land as things stand right now. Um, but now they're throwing this white draft paper, what they call the white draft policy, at us, and mm -hmm. and it's basically they trying to to nationalise wildlife and wild areas that are for wildlife, saying it's heritage of the country and belongs to the people. And uh, we're saying, okay. If this is the fight we're going to fight, imagine, Robbie, just give yourself some thought. They didn't win Section 25 to take our land. Now they're attacking the wildlife, saying, well, this is a way to get to your land. Well, what happens tomorrow if I have to choose? So if I get rid of the wildlife and I put cattle on here, do I hold onto my land and my asset for the future of my family? I can tell you right now. If that is the choice I have to make, four and a half thousand head a game will go. There's mm -hmm. no, there is no option yet. Because at the end mm -hmm. of the day, what people don't understand, it is okay for every person in the world to go to work and expect a profit or a return on their efforts and to be able to sustain their life and livelihoods. Just because it's wildlife, there seems to be an emotional rhetoric that makes you, that people seem to think you should be guilty. You should, you should have this... Uh, regret in your efforts in what you do. In fact, you should be hailed as 
the most wonderful investment. We're not asking anybody to invest with us. We're just asking for support. Come and trade with us. That's all we're asking. And, and ultimately, if the choice came to that, I'll go back to goat farming. I'll put up the fences, scorch earth policy, get rid of the wildlife, and we move on. Because at the end of the day, if I can't feed my children, the animals are not going to feed, feed themselves. That's how it works in this world. Yeah. It's funny in that white paper, the, the vision that they have in the white paper says this, a prosperous nation living in harmony with nature where biodiversity is conserved for present and future generations and secures equitable livelihoods and improved human well-being. What if that vision is not happening? <laughs> Which kind of hard to believe in a country such as ours. Another ideology from the first world trying to be peddled in a third world where the realities are just different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, you know, I, it's, it's, you know, hopefully this doesn't go very far. I, I don't um, think so. It's losing steam rapidly. Uh, I went to one of the public meetings, and I will tell you that one of the greatest things that came out of there is the amount of uh, 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 black and colored Farmers who I met mm. at one at the meeting I went to, uh, and they were so upset. They were so irate at the thought of this that their land could be could be affected in this manner, and their choice of wildlife. I met a man who farmed goats, but then uh, was running uh, some wildlife and had a sustainable offtake with an outfitter supporting him close to East London, and. Uh, how happy he was that wildlife now was exceeding his turnover on stock. And his idea and his vision was to get rid of the stock and grow his wildlife. So that most certainly gave me hope because there was a man from a previously disadvantaged background standing uh, side by side with me for the same common goal. You know, that we, we, we can't afford this thing to go ahead. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I think to Cody's point earlier when he said, like, what would your staff complement look like? if you weren't hunting anymore. It's the same thing in Spain. And, and literally, it's happening in Spain in this place. Two years that they've had a hunting ban in place, their staff total has gone from, I think, seven individuals to three individuals. Yeah. Or eight individuals to four. Sorry, eight to four. What, uh, how many people do you employ? Over here at the moment, I run 28. And, uh, and so 28, 28 people with a job. And I, I can tell you where we're at, I have yet to see. How much else? I have yet to see within a legitimately four thirty miles. Yeah, there's not another job. There's nothing. There's not another job within thirty miles. Um, and there's no way that if you ran a sheep ranch that you. I mean, honestly, you probably if it went to that point, am I wrong that you probably just pull it off with your family? I mean, uh, we could pull it off with three guys. Yeah, yeah, and that's. Uh, I don't, I don't understand that the animals are flourishing. It's creating jobs. Um, so let's change it. Kind of seems like what that white paper says to me. Yeah, it's, um, it's something we definitely need to, to look into. There's something else happening in South Australia right now when it comes to bow hunting. There's a, a minister on the ground over there that is pushing a anti-bow hunting sentiment. Um, I cannot find anything about it. Like... There's an organization that's pushing it that I keep getting referred to called CASA. The conservation, I'm looking it up right now. 
conservation. They don't want to stop hunting. They just want to stop bow hunting. Yeah, it's one of the greenies, one of the green environmental ministers that has. Um, let me try and find it. You know, the um, thing that continuously jumps out in my mind is think of all the actual good things these people could be doing with their time. Like, like the things they could be accomplishing that made the world a better place, as opposed to inventing an organization to fight bow hunting in southern Australia. But it's all about money, Cody. At it's the end a, of the day, it's, it's like you can create so much passion out of emotion that people are willing to dig in their pockets. So what do you do? It's about money and it's also about creating kind of uh, imaginary self-worth. It's about, it's about feeling good about yourself. Um, you know, it's just like the lie in the, in the UK about the ban on trophy hunting. If you went to those folks and said, okay, we won't bring any more trophies back if you promise to never do anything else to keep the hunting rights away. That's, that's not, they're, they're, they're not going to do that not. because it's not mm-hmm. their intention. They're just wanting to feel good about a win um, in their mind and look, do zero to explore the consequences of their actions, just like what you're talking about in Spain, Robbie. Yeah. So if anybody knows uh, anyone in the Conservation Hunting Alliance of of South Australia, CASA is their acronym. I don't see anything on their Facebook page pushing this, peddling this. Uh, The last post that they have was about a food and wine, (laughs) a wine and wild food dinner. So I don't think, like if it was truly a massive issue, like it should be all over their Facebook page and it's not. But I keep getting freaking tagged in it through DMs on, on Instagram. So if anybody's out there has a contact with CASA, Conservation Hunting Alliance in South Australia, please reach out to us. Um, to your point, Cody, about the the UK's um, still on the books. It's a private member bill now, though, but it's still freaking lingering, which is this idea of the banning of trophy hunting coming out of coming out of the UK. Well, all of a sudden, there has been an election. Yeah, imagine that, the timing. <laughs> Did you see uh, who got put in, the new Boris Johnson? Who, who is it? We've been hunting, we it's don't even know. Liz, Liz something. Uh, Liz Truss. Huh. Liz Truss is the Prime Minister of the UK. Brand new uh, Prime Minister. And um, the new uh, Minister of DEFRA. In the UK is a guy called Janil Jayawardena. Okay. And uh, he just retweeted um, a tweet from the Conservative Animal Welfare Organization that the conservatives will ban trophy hunting imports. It's despicable to kill elephants, rhinos, lions, and endangered species and shameful to display their body parts as trophies. And he responded to that. I've been campaigning for this and more since I was first elected and founded the APPG on endangered species. I don't know what that stands for. Pleased to have secured pledges in the Conservatives' manifesto ahead of, um, oh no, this is not, that was a, that was, excuse me, I am, I, again, to be honest, this is a tweet back in 2019 uh, that I'm reading right now. But this guy, Janil Jayawardner, is now the next Secretary of DEFRA. So, he's being put in place. So, imagine him retweeting that, that... Uh... Somebody didn't. Uh, well, that re- he retweeted that in 2019. So again, that that's gonna completely unfair to me. Yeah, his. Uh, we clearly know where he stands, and you know maybe he's changed um, where he stands, but I doubt it. 
So what's on the plan this afternoon, boys? You got it's it's early early morning for me. You guys have um, did you have lunch on the mountain, or you're going to have lunch at, at the base camp? We've had a wonderful lunch at base camp. Then Cody ate two carrot cakes, cupcakes for the oh, third. No doubt. I'm sure he'll have a third after we get off this. No, you know, we're going to have podcast. a cup of coffee. Then we're going to go bird hunting. But we're going to we're going to go hunt the birds we love the most. No, we're lying. We're going to go and hunt ostriches. Um, we need. Two ostriches this afternoon. Hopefully, we can pull this off. Um, we're going Comanche style, I'm told. Uh, so, this will be very... Is Avery going to, to make sure that you kill two? No, no. Avery no. is uh, on a helicopter tour down the wild coast. We will see her later. And She's we'll... not flying the helicopter, I hope, because she did just... Inf- she sent me a text that said, I need to warn you, we're day drinking and coming in hot. That was the text I just got from her. <laughs> really, there's a... Uh, there's a PK. That's just look. That's 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 only only way I know Avery is that. Hey, my my wife enjoys having a good time. There is a PH here named Greg that uh, boy. that yeah that drew the uh, short straw to take the ladies on their excursions when they weren't hunting. They have both hunted. Um, my wife her her first time hunting ever in the her first successful hunt ever in the world was a. She is brilliant. Black wildebeest at 268 yards that dropped like a rock with that Carl put her on. Um, but they have done excursions every other day, and Greg, Greg may quit and and leave South Africa after. I I, I I can. I'll, let me throw a prediction out there. Greg's going to come back to Carl after this weekend, after this week with you guys, and he's going to say, "I want to do more of that," because the tip that he's going to get from Avery and Kay is going to be quite good. <laughs> Well, I'm not sure that there's enough money in the world to make the hassle he's had worth dealing with. <laughs> but uh, so have, you're going uh, ostrich hunting. What other bird hunting do you have, Carl? Do you have any other bird hunting? We've got beautiful gray wing partridge over English pointer. Um, that, unfortunately, the season's over. Uh, we also have guineas. We've got... Um, number of duck species, geese species. Uh, we got rock pigeons and doves, but um, a lot of that earlier in the year. Right now, the season's closed from the majority, except the the um, the doves and the Egyptian goose. But for the rest, we're closed right now. So we're going to be hunting the smartest bird in the world that can't fly. That's what we're going to hunt. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So we're going to give well, it hell and enjoy a beautiful sunset. And Absolutely. think about you. Wish you were here, my mate. Yeah, next year. We'll get there next year, okay, Carl? 100%. Uh, well, I'm still waiting for you and your boys. I told you. So I'm waiting. We're going to make it happen. We're going to make it happen. Waiting. Waiting, my mate. Um, well, look, uh, Cody, don't, don't try not to miss too many more animals. Uh, <laughs> but if we do, if you do, we understand. Right. If you do. Yeah. It's, uh, Yeah. I'm not a big fan of missing animals. Luckily, it was a clean miss. And then even more, luckily, even more lucky or more fortunate, we went back and got the exact same warthog this morning. But a redemption. Yeah. And he didn't so go So to help far. call out, what else is, is on the cards, Cody, to help call out you? <laughs> uh, I, I, really, there isn't. I, I just don't have a plan. I don't. Uh, I, I truly don't. I mean, the, the Inyala wasn't on the plan, but it popped up. And I, I will tell you this. I can admit 
I, I think these guys will give me credit that I admit what I'm not good at, and I can't judge African game for shit. He identified mm-hmm. five warthog sizes bulls this morning. I did not. <laughs> That's not true. That's a lie. I wow. Said, well I said, done, hey, Cody. Here's Man. another hog that you need to look at. And Ed, the other PH that was with, he would eventually just stop replying to me. He would look at the one that I should, that I talked him onto, and then he would just go back to another one and not even say again, Cody. That's a sow. He just wouldn't. Um, but I, when I looked at that in Yala. I had seen enough of them that I thought, huh, that looks like a really good one to me. A re- they're, I, I think they're, I think they're maybe the prettiest animal that I've seen here. Um, and so I don't, uh, I, I don't have, I don't have a list. I just don't. I, uh, well, here's here's the thing, Carl, that I was trying to to help you out with here. So Daryl has put his buff on the ground, right? Cody's there, but not quite there. But we're planning a big trip, dude, and we're target fishing. So, so we got we got plans, man. We got plans. Target oh, fishing. Where's the big hunting. trip going? Where's the buffalo hunting going to happen? We, we might be going to Tanzania doing something like that. We're just we're visiting right now. Jeez. The only way this is happening is if we're catching tiger fish as well. Ed and myself have put on our foot. Tiger fishing is amazing. Hundred percent. It's amazing fishing. Well, Carl, Cody, I know that you guys are uh, got an afternoon of hunting out in front of you. Um, Thank you, man. Again, Carl, I can't thank you enough, man. You guys, again, you've been a huge supporter of what we do. And uh, and I'm, I'm not saying it just because we're on a podcast right now. You know that uh, I'm a big fan of yours. Cody's a big fan of yours. Our entire team loves what you guys do and what you stand for. Um, we're just grateful for the friendship and grateful for the support. No, it's a pleasure, Robbie. And I think from all of us, especially the outfitters in Africa, you've given us a serious platform. You've given us a voice. You've stood up for a lot of what we've spoken about around the dinner tables, the pubs, uh, the camps, and and it helps us a bunch what you guys do, and, and, and we continue to support you, and we really, really appreciate your guys' efforts. It, it is making a difference on the ground. There is more awareness, and there is more funding available to fight the good fight, and ultimately, all of us here uh, need to stand together because the uh, the opposition, may it be hunt, may it be semi anti hunting or completely anti hunting, may it be whatever land use there is, as long as there's sustainable use, we need to stand up for that. Um, we need to figure it out. It all works together. And as I always do, I challenge my fellow outfitters to join your conservation club to do the monthly donations to support your cause, and um, I hope they do that. Well, I appreciate it. Cody, safe uh, safe hunting and safe travels home, my man. Yeah, that's the plan. We're going to have a good time and then uh, not want to leave when we do. Well, start already, as, you, as you, you guys have started doing, deciding what your next Africa trip is before you've actually left. Uh, yeah, we did that on day two. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys. Okay, man. See you, Robbie. Cheers, ciao, ciao. Mate. See you. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.